0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you and uh, to share with you just some thoughts um, today. And I'm I'm really glad that um, we've had that reading. So it means that Jonathan didn't stitch me up and get me to try and preach on something else. So it's great. That's really good. Um, But have the opportunity as you are going through this series to look at this passage um, with you. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'm going to talk about one verse from this passage, but I'm going to use it as a launch pad to talk about something else related to it. So I'm not going to go verse by verse through all those, otherwise we're going to be here all afternoon. And I won't get to watch the greatest football team in the world play football later, so I won't be doing that. And so uh, of course I'm talking about the red half of Manchester. Um, oh, there we go. I've got some supporters here. That's good. Okay. So as I came to this passage, this was the verse that really stood out to me. And what stood out to me was that as Paul was talking to the church in northern Greece, Chris talked to you about this uh, last week. He gave you all the background, so I'm not going to go into all of that. You know that there is this church, and he's commending them. He's actually being really, really... Sort of supportive of this church who are facing great persecution. But he also says to them that he has been encouraging them and comforting them and urging them to live lives worthy of the call that they've received. And as I was reading. The, the chapter this verse just really stood out to me and if you've done any kind of preaching or anything sometimes it happens it's like this verse just jumps out at you and so I was asking the question okay what does it mean for us to live lives worthy of our calling I don't know if this is going to work is this going to work is it on that's always a really yes it is on could you can you flick it through to the next slide is that possible So we're going to look at this morning this idea of living our life worthy of our calling what does it mean for us to do that and it kind of picks up where Chris uh, spoke about last week if you were here Chris spoke about the idea of that we are the message and so I want to look at this idea of what does it mean for us to walk worthy of our calling you, Sorry, can you just do the next one? Okay. Here's a question for you. Who are you imitating? Paul picks up this idea in chapter one and chapter two. And he talks about this idea of that he is imitating Jesus. And then he says, imitate me. Basically, Paul is saying, look at my life. I am copying Jesus. So look at my life and then copy my life. And he uses it elsewhere. You can read about it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says the same thing. All over the place, in Paul's writings, he says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. So the question for us is, are we imitating Jesus in our day-to-day life? And then the next question is, is our life worth imitating? Most of you, maybe our kids, grandkids, kids love to copy don't they they love to copy parents and behavior and you know for many of us that's maybe how we learned right we we kind of imitated our parents and then you get to that moment don't you in your life I think I'm not the only one as you get older and suddenly you say or do something and there's that moment of shock isn't there (gasps) that's just like my dad (laughs) anyone else been there you know because we have been imitating them. We've been copying them. The, the, the Greek word, the original word um, in the New Testament is the word mimitai. And you can know the English word we get, to mimic. And Paul says, I mimic Jesus and I want you to mimic my life. And so the question is, are we mimicking? Are we imitating Jesus? And if so, is our life worth someone else looking at it and going, I want to copy that person. There are lots of influencers today, aren't there? On social media, on Insta, TikTok, you get all these influencers, don't you? These famous people who are selling products here and there and everywhere, bombarding our young people, these influencers that are heralded as people that we're to listen to and we're to copy. And actually... There's a sense in which Jesus is the one we are supposed to copy and follow. And there's a, a, a great craze uh, a few years ago in the evangelical world. Next slide, please. And everyone was wearing one of the. Anyone wear one of these? Did anyone wear one? These rubber bands with a, some letters on it. WWJD, what does it stand for? What would Jesus do? Okay, a great reminder a great reminder is you're living out your faith in the context of your own story and you come to a situation and you kind of look down and go oh what would Jesus do in this situation how would Jesus act with the hope that you would mimic or copy that behavior do you see how that works um, my question is always where it says what would Jesus do I always think well I'd like to know what did Jesus do so that I can copy him does that make sense so we I want to look at if I may coming from this passage in first Thessalonians where Paul says we are to imitate Christ we are to have a life worth imitating I want to just come from that and look at so what did Jesus do how did he live his life and in John's gospel we're told at the beginning of John's gospel that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He operated in his life in 100% grace and 100% truth 100% of the time. I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing, right? And so what I want to do is I want to look at a story in the Gospels, what I think is the quintessential story of Jesus operating in 100% grace and 100% truth. Uh, it, it is the, the quintessential story for me. It's a story I come back to time and time and time again. And you will know this story really, really well. And we find it in John chapter 8. And it is a story of the woman caught in adultery. Many of you will know this particular story. So if you have a Bible or an electronic device, do Uh, go to that passage, because we're going to look at it for a moment, as we think about how Jesus responded. So John 8, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is there for the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, He has just made an incredible statement. He has just said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink, and streams of living water will flow out from you. And then he then he goes, okay? Now, it wasn't like Jesus said, by the way, guys, just wrapping up chapter seven, we're gonna take a break, have some supper. I'll be back in the morning and we'll do chapter eight. Okay, that, that's, that's not the way it was. The chapter divisions were put in by us. Okay, was that a bad thing? No, it's for teaching purposes. But we try to find a natural break. Jesus went off, crossed the Kidron Valley, Mount of Olives, his favorite spot, And he comes back in the morning and he's in the temple courts. And he is doing what he always did. He's teaching. He's teaching the people. And as he's teaching the people, it tells us that suddenly the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they come in and they brought a woman who has been caught in the act of committing adultery. Not she had committed it. She was caught in the very act of committing it. And they made her stand in the center of the group. Loads, of, loads and loads of people. And then what they did, uh, the next slide please. They said to him, <clears throat> Rabbi, this woman has been caught in the act of committing adultery. Now in our law, in the, what's called the Torah, uh, the instructions of God in the Old Testament, Moses commanded that the woman should be, stoned to death. What do you say about it? I don't know about you, but sometimes we face difficult situations in life, don't we? Or am I just the only one? Jesus is in a difficult situation. Okay? He's there, he's teaching, and suddenly he's faced with this situation where they have brought this woman who's been caught in the very act of adultery, and they say she deserves to be stoned. How is he going to operate? Is he going to respond in 100% grace or is he going to respond in 100% truth? Which way is he going to do it? I wonder how you would respond. They said this to trap him. This is a trap. How do we know it's a trap? Well, I have a question. Because Leviticus 20 says that both the woman and the man are supposed to come and be stoned to death. So where's the man? Where where is he? You know it's a trap, <clears throat> right? He's not there. This is a setup, okay? And the religious leaders—they've got him. They've they, well, they think they have. They've got him, right? I mean, if he operates in a hundred percent grace and says, "Let her go, she's free," they will then say, "Well, you are a flagrant lawbreaker," aren't they? they'll say you're breaking the law and therefore stone him. If he operates in 100% truth, well, that's wrong. She deserves death. Then he's going to be in trouble because Rome are the ones at that time who could enforce capital punishment. So if he goes with 100% grace, He's going to get stoned by the religious leaders or accused of being a flagrant lawbreaker. If he goes with 100% truth, he's going to be in trouble with Rome. As far as the religious leaders are concerned, they've got him, right? Is, there, is everybody okay? So how is he going to operate? How is he going to respond? All grace, no truth. All truth, no grace. Which one is he going to do? But Jesus bent down and began writing in the dust with his finger i love this i love this that jesus does by the way does anyone know what jesus wrote in the sand well that's really good because that means you're not a lunatic okay There, there are some people who think they know what jesus was writing in the sand but actually we don't know and i'm okay with that because actually god says that it's faith that pleases him not knowledge so we don't have to know everything do we no, we don't have to know everything. So Jesus is writing in the sand. If you asked me to try and give some explanation to it, the only thing I can do is give you scripture. And if I was going to give you some kind of understanding in my head, I would go to Jeremiah seventeen thirteen. Okay, and in this passage, it says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who abandon you will be ashamed. Those who leave you will be inscribed in the dust. Or the sand? No who's and ours? Tough crowd at Lynn Baptist Church. Okay. Because they have abandoned the Lord, the source of living water. This idea of, in in Jeremiah, it was saying that actually if you abandon the Lord, then your name is going to be written in the dust rather than in the book of life. We know what happens if your name is written in the dust and the wind will just blow it away you see how maybe just maybe this is this is mine okay just maybe these religious leaders knew the book of jeremiah better than all of us collectively in this room possibly they recognized possibly but he's there and he's writing in the dust and they start questioning him again it says they continue to question him hey come on what's this writing in the dust stuff answer us They just wanted to nail him. It wasn't about the woman. It wasn't about the adultery. All they cared about was getting Jesus. So they kept questioning him. Come on, give us an answer, Jesus. And he straightened up and he said to them, the one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This is beautiful. Jesus just incredibly puts everyone on the same level doesn't he? Rich, poor, black, white, educated, non-educated, Baptist, Anglican, Pentecostal. Everybody is on the same level here. Jesus is saying, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. He's saying we are all guilty. And in a sense, this woman has been caught, but everybody else is still sinful, aren't they? You know, people have said to me, oh, well, I've never got points on my license. And I'm like, well, how many times have you been over the speed limit? It's just the fact that you haven't been caught, right? And, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, guys, you, you are all guilty. And then I love it. Then he wrote, in the dust again. I mean, it must have been so infuriating for these religious leaders. But on hearing this, they began to leave, one by one, with the older ones first. Why the older ones? Probably because they were the wisest. Maybe they had the most sin. And so he was left alone with this woman who was still there. And then he he says to this woman, and the next slide, please. Jesus said to her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And verse 11, I think, is this beautiful picture of Jesus operating in 100% grace and 100% truth. Because Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. That's grace, isn't it? That's 100% grace. He's saying, I do not condemn you. You're free. 100%. But then he has this phrase, now go and don't sin anymore. You know, sometimes when I think about the church, I don't just mean this, I mean the church on a larger scale. And particularly the Western evangelical church, I think they stop at the phrase, neither do I condemn you. I think they stop at that point and go, saw that grace forgiven there we go does anyone potentially agree with me that's what we hear a lot of but Jesus then goes on to say this phrase now go and don't sin anymore now I um I did my postgraduate in biblical studies so I love to kind of get into kind of words and stuff so forgive me just for a moment I just want to talk to you about these words these greek words as they appear in scripture Okay, so the word now. Some of you will go, Paul, really? Well, now, well, no, it doesn't mean 11.30, okay? Now, that word in the original language means from this point forward. So in effect, Jesus is saying, from this point forward, young lady, and for the rest of your life, Go. What does go mean? The word go in the original means to pursue a journey to follow or to be an adherent to a follower. Everyone okay so far? So Jesus operates in 100% grace, neither do I condemn you. And then he says to her, from this point forward and for the rest of your life, pursue a journey following me. She's kind of getting saved, isn't she? I mean, she was supposed to die. And she was set free. But at some point in the future, this guy is going to do something that is going to credit to her account forgiveness. Do you see that? She's kind of getting saved. That grace... But also now, she is to go forward for the rest of her life, pursuing a journey with God, and don't sin. In the Greek, that simply means, do not depart from the ways of God. So you get the phrase? That's what he's saying to her. He doesn't just say, now go and get on with the rest of your life. You've been saved. Off you go and do what you like. He says to her, I don't condemn you, 100% grace, but he also gives the other side of 100% truth that says for the rest of your life, young lady, follow me, pursue me with everything that you have. Does that make sense? Do you see how that works together? And uh, I, I just really love this story. I love it with the fact that she... You know, she's been in a tough spot. She can't necessarily go on with the rest of her life as though nothing had happened. This is Jerusalem. It's, it's not that big, by the way, in the first century. It's not that big. There's maybe 200,000 people who live there, but really, the community-wise, it's not big. Do you think no one's going to know what she's done do you think her husband won 't know? Do you think her kids won 't know? Do you think her relatives won 't know everybody's going to know it 's kind of like she 's living in limb you know everyone 's going to know everyone 's going to know all the gossip everyone 's going to know, but in some way, God is through the Lord Jesus Christ giving her that grace now. I like to kind of paint in pictures with with Scripture. Um, sometimes we can just read words on the page, can't we? I often talk to my church about um, seeing the Bible not just in standard definition, but seeing it in ultra HD. Some of you got a nice TV, you know. It all stands out, doesn't it? The colors, the, the sounds, the pictures, everything all kind of comes out. And I kind of see the Bible in that way and when i think of this story i in my head i kind of paint a a little picture that's going on and so my take on this story is that there is this woman and she's having sex with a guy and there are some people who are watching and something tells me that these people who are watching through a window their thoughts aren't particularly pure And just about when it's over, they jump into the room and surprise her. I don't don't know whether they let her get dressed. I don't think they gave her much time to clean up because all they wanted to do was grab her and take her to Jesus because it was all about him. They wanted to trap him. And so they grab her and they pull her through the streets to the temple courts, which were full of people, and they throw her on the floor. And I think at this point, I think she is hysterical. This is 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. It's a first century Jewish culture. Her life is over. I think she's crying. I think there's mucus coming out of her nose. I don't think she can see that well. Put yourself in that situation where your life is over. She's going to die, and she knows it. And they throw her on the floor in front of some stranger, and they say, this woman committed adultery. She deserves to die. But this rabbi incredibly disperses the crowd. The people have now put the stones down, And he says to this woman, where are those who are accusing you? Where are they? And I think she's still got the tears and I think she's still a mess. And I think she kind of lifts her head and she wipes the tears out of her eyes. And she looks around and she's like, where have they gone? What what, what just happened? Am I going to get a pass? Am I going to get a get out of jail free card? Who Who is this guy? And he says to her, where are your condemners? Does no one condemn you? And she's like, no, no one. And he says to her, from this point forward, young lady, and for the rest of your life, pursue a journey of following me and do not depart from the ways of God any longer. Jesus was operating in 100% grace and 100% truth. In my head, it's not in the text, but in my head, I kind of think as he's talking to her, as he forgives her, by some grace, he's going to help her husband forgive her. He's going to help her kids forgive her. She's no longer going to be known as the poor of Jerusalem but she's going to be known as a good mom who made a mistake and I think that many years from now if she responds to that call maybe she's at the sink washing up and tears are falling from her eyes and she falls on her knees and she just says how can I ever thank you I don't know all the stories in this room. But we all face incredible challenges in our lives. We're imperfect, aren't we? We've all received forgiveness. So it's really important that we pay it forward. As hard as it might be for us to operate in grace and truth. And all that pain and all that betrayal and all that sorrow for me is the hammer and chisel that God is using for the imperfect stones that are being prepared for his heavenly temple. Some of you might say, oh Paul, I I, I haven't committed adultery. But you know, in, in the original language, there is a metaphor with adultery which also relates to spiritual adultery. Faith less to God. I guess the question is, have any of us ever, Committed adultery, spiritual adultery. I think we have. And we need his forgiveness. And as we sang this morning, the importance of that forgiveness that we receive. Jesus operated in 100% grace and 100% truth. If we only operate in one, if we operate in all grace and no truth, it's deceptive and will lead to licentiousness. We can do what we like. If we operate in all truth but no grace, it's destructive and leads to hopelessness. We are to be 100% graceful and 100% truthful. Now, some of you will say, but Paul, only Jesus can do that, right? And you'd be right. Yet, this is the goal that we are to aim for. This is what we are to work towards. Didn't the Apostle Paul say that? Do you remember the Apostle Paul? No? Hopefully, you remember the Apostle Paul. In the book of Philippians, he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. He says, I press on to to reach the goal. Did you know that when Paul said that, he'd been walking with the Lord 10 years since the Damascus Road experience? If the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, could say, I haven't arrived yet, I'm guessing we could say the same thing. We haven't arrived yet, because we're imperfect people, and we're going to mess up, and and, and we're going to act like idiots. Or am I the only one? But when. When we do, friends, let's be real with people. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. How many of you have lost it? How many of you lost it this morning on the way to church? How many of you are going to lose it this afternoon? I'll try not to lose it when my team's losing. Um, we're imperfect. We're imperfect, aren't we? But the church, doesn't it, doesn't it portray sometimes? That we, we've got it all together. Does the church do that? They tell you about their dreams and visions and they tell you how close to God they are. Really? How close are you? Do you operate in 100% grace and 100% truth 100% of the time? Not even close. Only Jesus can pull that off, but we are called to imitate Him and through God's grace and His power. And through the Holy Spirit, we are being changed from glory to glory. And I will not stop, and I pray that you do not stop until you're finished, until you close your eyes for that final time. So what do we do? Sing a hymn and go to lunch? I mean, what do we do? Well, I suggest... As we sang right before I spoke, you didn't know I was going to speak on this, so I thank you for that choice of song. I think we need to come to the cross. Because at the cross, it is where you will find the fullness of God's grace and the fullness of God's truth. It is at the cross where God's love provided what his holiness demanded. It is at the cross where justice and peace have kissed each other and judgment and mercy have embraced. Lynn Baptist Church, go to the cross as often as you can. Surrender yourselves to his will and be led by the Holy Spirit to live a life for God. Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Will you imitate Christ? Is your life worth imitating? Wonder if the musicians would come back, and uh, before we sing, <clears throat> um, just just invite you if you if you're able to if you wish whether you would stand and I just want to pray for you so if, if you're able to would you would you stand and maybe if you just want to hold your hold your hands out as though you're going to receive a gift and let me pray for you heavenly father we thank you for this morning we thank you for your word Heavenly Father, you have forgiven us. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And we praise you and we thank you for that. And Father, as we stand here this morning, we look to you and think, how can we ever thank you? Father, we promised Today, that we will live our lives for you. That we will live lives worthy of that grace and love that you gave to us at the cross. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for those who are watching online, those who are here in the building. Father, pour your spirit again, afresh upon us all. That from this point forward and for the rest of our lives we would pursue a journey with you and we would not depart from your ways anymore. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to equip us as we walk, just as you walked, and live a life for you. We give you our praise. We offer it to you now.